Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hello again from Montreal, Canada. We will be discussing today myself, Carole, my colleague, François, and Maher, the interesting topic of watch and wait strategy. In the recent 20 years, significant changes have occurred in the treatment of rectal cancer. Initially, primary treatment was surgery with high local recurrent rates. In part based on the NSABP R01 trial and the Swedish trial, post-op radiation therapy was then shown to decrease local recurrence. In the late 90s, early 2000, many randomized controlled trials, the Dutch, the German, the MRC, then showed the benefit of chemoradiation treatment in the neoadjuvant setting. In this very same period, surgical precision was also developed in part due to the data of Bill Heals, one of the main contributors of TME. And TME was shown to decrease local recurrence and also to improve functional outcome. All these components together increased better outcome in the treatment of rectal cancer. And also in this same era, pre-op clinical staging was improved by most of Gina Brown's work on assessing MRI in clinical staging. In doing surgery post-chemoradiation treatment, findings of total response, i.e. no identifiable tumor cells in pathology report, were reported in up to 12 to 30% of patients. This led to the question of what is the impact on patient outcome when they have a complete response. And many institutions from different countries thereafter reported, in fact, very good survival outcome with very low recurrence rate in the follow-up of such patients. And this finally led to the question of can we identify prior to surgery the complete responders Potentially, can we avoid surgery? Surgery for rectal cancer, even in the hands of experts, is associated with important morbidities and major functional outcome. It is a major surgery, even with MIS and robotic development, with major impact on patients' lives, not like colon surgery. This is why today our team chose to address this hot topic of watch and wait strategy for our journal club. So, François, which article did we choose and why? Well, the first article we chose uh, was the initial article that at that time was a very provocative article. Uh, it's entitled Operative versus Non-Operative Treatment for Stage 0 Distal Rectal Cancer Following Chemoradiation Therapy Long-Term Results. And it was the first article to explore the now commonly referred to concept that is called organ preservation in rectal cancer treatment. The results of the study have challenged the surgical principles by which patients with rectal cancers are treated. It is actually not a totally novel concept as it is widely used in the treatment of squamous cell carcinoma of the anus, but was totally shocking in the treatment of adenocarcinoma of the rectum. The Sao Paulo group of Brazil with Angelita Habergama was really a pioneer in this field. Maya, can you give us a summary of this article? Yeah, so this article was uh, actually published in, in Annals of Surgery in 2004. Um, it the patient population included 265 patients. 
They all had distal rectal adenocarcinoma that went from 0 to 7 centimeters for, from the anal marge. Patients were treated with new adjuvant chemorads, and then they were re-evaluated eight weeks following completion of chemorads. So there were two groups, the experimental group versus the control group. In other words, uh, patients who have had a complete clinical response were treated non-operatively uh, was the experimental group. And the control group consisted of patients with incomplete clinical response that were treated with surgery resulting in stage P0, meaning having a complete pathological response. And the results overall showed in the observation group, with a mean follow-up of approximately five years, the five-year disease survival, uh, five-year overall survival, sorry, was 100%, and the five-year disease-free survival was 92%. In the resection group, with a mean follow-up of exactly four years, um, the results were slightly different. The five-year overall survival was 88% versus 83% for the disease-free survival. So this article basically showed us that there was no significant difference between both groups when looking at recurrence and mortality rates. And the authors basically state that stage zero rectal cancer disease is associated with excellent long-term results, irrespective of treatment strategy. Also, they mentioned that surgery may lead to unnecessary morbidity and mortality rates and is associated with high rates of temporary or definitive stoma, which is why uh, many studies followed after this one. Following this study, several questions were raised, such as, one, how to identify complete responders, two, which tests should be done to optimize patient selection of complete responders, number three, how should these patients be followed, and number four, could these results be reproduced prospectively in other institutions, as people were skeptical in the beginning. One very important question was about the optimal definition of a complete clinical response. When would it be safe to offer an organ preservation strategy to the patient? The Southpole group published another study in 2010 trying to standardize which approach would be the best to identify the patients with the complete clinical response. The criteria included three modalities, clinical rectal exam, endoscopic evaluation, and radiologic evaluation with high-resolution MRI. These three components are critical and complementary to minimize the risk of including patients with residual disease in a watch-and-wait protocol. On rectal exam, there should be no irregularities or mass, and a flat, smooth scar should be palpated. Which means that for the moment, only distal third tumors should be amenable to a potential watch-and-wait protocol. And I think that is very important. On endoscopy, a flat white scar with often the presence of telangiectasia is considered a clinical complete response. And on MRI, no residual mass or lymph node should be, should be visible. Scarring at the site of tumor with a hypot 2 signal should be present. And in diffu diffusion weight sequence, there should be no residual restriction portion of the lesion. Those criteria have been validated afterwards and are all a very important part of the evaluation of these patients as local regrowth can be detected by any one of those components of the follow-up. Another important point to focus on is how intensive was the follow-up in this study. It is of utmost important to understand that approximately one in four patients will experience a local regrowth and most of them are salvageable when discovered early so the patient needs to be aware of how important a close follow-up is. Thus, this involves a dedicated team with experts on 
recurrence finding, and also a truly dedicated patient. In our local experience, the most accurate factor for diagnosis of local recurrence was in fact digital rectal exam. This is also why we believe organ preservation strategy should be offered to those patients where the initial tumor is easily palpable on physical exam. It is also those patients that will experience the most impact on their quality of life following oncology proctectomy. All expert centers are now optimizing strategies to identify patient with clinical complete response. Unfortunately, randomized control trial will probably never see the day as patient would most probably not consent to entering a trial when already major centers are offering this strategy. I guess we missed this opportunity. The data is now being published by individual centers on prospective follow-up and outcome of watch and wait policies. In Canada, we are many centers participating in a Canadian registry of watch and wait policy. This group is led by the Toronto Mount Sinai Group. For this journal club, we selected a combination of two articles, which are basically a first part and his follow-up, which is, to our knowledge, the biggest registry of watch and waste policy yet to be published. So, Maya, can you present us the second article? Yeah, so the second article uh, published in 2018 in The Lancet and entitled Long-Term Outcomes of Clinical Complete Responders After Neoadjuvant Treatment for Rectal Cancer in the International Watch and Wait Database an international multi-center registry study. So in this study, um, the, the authors start by stating that uh, there's evidence regarding watch and wait uh, based on small to moderate size series from many centers across the world. And the international watch and wait database uh, was formed and aimed to describe the outcome of watch and wait strategies uh, in a large scale registry of pooled individual patient data. So uh, there are 47 participating centers uh, from 15 countries for a total of 1,009 patients including in the, included in the database. The database was composed of approximately 50% of previously published um, data from different cohort ser- series and 50% of unpublished data. And of the 1,009 patients that were submitted to this registry between 2015 and 17, who received neoadjuvant treatment and were managed with a watch-and-wait approach rather than radical resection. 880 patients had a complete clinical response as defined by criteria of individual participating institutes. Regrowth was monitored with endoscopy, MRI of the pelvis, CT of the pelvis, endorectal ultrasound, PET scan, and CEA at various proportions uh, with endoscopy being the most common method used. Um, in terms of outcome, they looked at the proportion of patients with local regrowth, their proportion of patients with distant metastases, five-year overall survival, as well as five-year disease-free, disease-free survival. So in terms of results, uh, first of all, the medium follow-up time was of 3.3 years. And the uh, authors noticed that the two-year cumulative incidence of local regrowth was around 25%. of all local regrowth was diagnosed in the first two years, and 97% of local regrowth was in the bowel wall, with 3% in regional nodes only. 8% of patients, meaning 71 patients, developed distant metastases. Five-year overall survival for the whole group was 85%, and five-year disease-free survival was 94%. And 
Authors basically conclude by saying that most disease regrowth was salvageable based on details of surgical treatment that were available for 148 of the 213 patients with local regrowth. And among the patients with local regrowth, the proportion of distant metastases was higher, meaning around 18%. So, Mayan, what is the take-home message from this article? So, after reading this article, what I understood is that in selected patients, it is acceptable to apply the watch-and-wait protocol, provided that the patient is reliable for strict follow-up. Local regrowth tends to occur mostly in the first two years, and local unsalvageable disease after watch-and-wait is rare, around 1% at the most. I think one important point to emphasize is the intensive nature of follow-up in these studies. As noted, up to 25% of patients will experience regrowth, and the vast majority will be salvageable because they are detected early. It is very important to discuss that point with the patient, especially when they are referred from distant institution. The strategy is not a good option for the non-compliant patient or for the patients who live far from the expert centers. So now let's take a look at the follow-up study uh, conducted by uh, Laura Fernandez and colleagues and with the data once again from the International Watch and Wait database that was published in 2021. Yeah, so the second study, um, as Dr. Dagmar mentioned, uh, was recently published, um, and it's entitled Conditional Recurrence Free Survival of Clinical Complete Responders Managed by Watch and Wait After Neoadjuvant Chemoradiotherapy for Rectal Cancer in the International Watch and Wait Database, a retrospective international multicenter registry study. So, um, again, the authors start with a general background mentioning that regrowth rates occur up in up to 25% of patients um, who are complete clinical responders, and distant metastases occur in up to 10% of these patients. The occurrence of local regrowth has been reported as late as seven years, however, following completion of chemoradiotherapy. So, considering all of that, the authors wondered for how long should the patients undergoing watch-and-wait policy be followed up for. And this study tried to address such a question by using conditional survival modeling to estimate the probability of patients remaining free of local regrowth or distant metastases for an additional two years after a complete clinical response or being distant metastasis-free for one, three, and five years. So it's a mouthful, it's complicated, but hang on there. I'll try to explain in better terms. So 793 patients from the database with a complete clinical response were uh, included in the study. Uh, the median follow-up was of 55 months, so approximately five years. The probability of remaining free from local regrowth for an additional two years if a patient had a sustained clinical complete response for one year was 88.1% for three years was 97.3%, and for five years was 98.6%. Also, the probability of remaining free from local distant metastases for an additional two years, if a patient had a sustained clinical complete response for one year, was 93.8% for one year. For three years, it was 97.8%, and for five years, it was 96.6%. And risk factors that were associated with local regrowth were baseline clinical T-staging, and the total dose of radiotherapy. The increased risk of local regrowth for patients with a clinical T3 or T4 stage tumor was only observed in the first year of follow-up. And similarly, following a full year of complete clinical response, the incidence of local regrowth between patients treated with different doses of radiation 
was similar in the subsequent two years. So this article was a bit complex to understand, but if I were to summarize it, I'd say that the take-home messages from this 2021 article are the following. The first three years are the most important for cancer regrowth. Most intensive surveillance is recommended for the first three years as the, uh, the authors state. Follow-up measures could eventually ease up after that period. More advanced tumors are at a higher risk of lo local regrowth, but only for the first year of follow-up. I would like to note, though, that um, in this article, 793 patients were included, whereas in the first article I presented, 880 patients were included. So I was wondering where the rest of these patients uh, go, and uh, I was trying to understand whether the authors have addressed this point, but they haven't. And also, the biggest contributors to the second study were Brazil and the Netherlands group. However, it is important to note that in the Brazilian group, uh, the patients that were entered, the data that was entered on the patients was retrospective data that dated from a while back. So for these patients specifically, they did not all have an MRI scan for uh, follow-up, and they most of them did not have a staging pretreatment. So all of these points are to be taken into consideration when taking the final conclusions of this 2021 article. However, we have to recognize that it's the best available data on watch and wait policies. These studies highlight the feasibility and the safety of an organ preservation strategy in rectal cancer with an experience of now over 20 years. I think it is safe to say that this strategy definitely provides benefit to a subset of patients avoiding the morbidity and functional impact of radical resection. I also believe that in 2022, you cannot approach rectal cancer without knowledge of this strategy and its limitation. It is important in discussing about treatment options to patients the possibility of avoiding surgery, it has to be mentioned, but it is important to state to the patient that the probability of being in this strategy is around 10 to 15% of patients. In other words, a very low percentage of patients will be amenable to a watch and wait strategy. Obviously, a lot of questions and uncertainties remain. The first one being, what is the optimal definition of clinical complete response and how to approach patient with near-complete response? What makes this decision sometimes difficult is that not all pathologic complete response are clinical complete response. You can have residual ulcers or nodularities, but when you operate on these patients, you don't see any viable cancer cells on the pathologic final exam. And as well, not all clinical complete response are pathologic complete response as some microscopic tumor cells might be found in the specimen even in a patient with a complete clinical response criteria that have been operated. Those are probably the patients that actually get local regrowth in the follow-up. Unfortunately, newer or other modalities that have been investigated like endoscopic biopsies or PET-CT scans or even circulating tumor DNA have non-consistently helped identify patients with clinical complete response. So the question of patients with near-complete response is also a challenging one. When does one consider a patient a non-responder? When does one decide to operate on a patient following completion of neoadjuvant therapy? Timing of evaluation is key here because we know that the longer you wait after chemo-RADS therapy, the higher number of patients will experience a complete clinical response. 
On the other hand, you would not want to delay life-saving surgery that would be indicated. I would say that when you look at recent studies, people are moving from evaluating response earlier at around four weeks to six weeks and now eight to 12 weeks after the end of their um, neoadjuvant treatment to allow for maximum tumor response. NCCN guidelines highlight that the best tumor response is eight weeks after completion of radiotherapy, but we know that clinical complete response can be achieved much later, up to 34 weeks in a recent study from Dr. Rodrigo Perez of Brazil. Obviously, these patients experience a good response initially, albeit incomplete, and have evolved towards complete clinical response. However, it should be stressed that most patients with clinical complete response will demonstrate good response early after the end of neoadjuvant therapy, and one should not delay the surgery with the hope of achieving a complete clinical response. I believe that one of the most crucial questions in 2022 is also how a total neoadjuvant treatment or TNT strategy will incorporate with the organ preservation strategy. And I agree uh, with Dr. Rishara. And actually, speaking of TNT strategy, uh, there was a very good talk from the Leahy Clinic team on the subject. Uh, and I strongly recommend you go back and listen to it if you did not already, because it's short and sweet, but you retain a lot from it. Another major concern about implementation of a watch and wait strategy remains whether survival and the chance of curative treatment are compromised in patients who experience regrowth. That does not seem to be the case, even though the patients are at high risk of distant metastasis if they experience a regrowth. In most of the data, the details of the surgical procedure post-watch and wait is still scarcely available. At our center, we noticed that we had a higher number of positive radial margin rate, and overall, our sphincter-saving procedure rate was a bit lower. This could possibly be explained by more fibrosis in the surgical plane as there is much more time between radiation therapy and surgery. The other factor that we believe plays a role in the safety of such a strategy is tumor location, which is rarely described in those studies. We noticed that anterior tumors in male patients at the level of the prostate gland were at much higher risk of positive radial margin when operated on for local regrowth in difficult surgical conditions. This should definitely be taken into consideration when discussing a watch-and-wait strategy with the patient at the timing of evaluation. I was reading through the articles, and I wondered if it would be important to actually uh, take into consideration and factor in patient follow-up anxiety uh, in the group that undergoes watch-and-wait policy, knowing that they have one chance out of four of getting their cancer and recurring, and how does that compare to the anxiety levels of those who undergo surgery? I haven't seen any literature on that. I don't know if you have, but we I think that's certainly something to address in the future. I think that's a very good point, Maya, because certainly certain patients will even refuse to be in a watch and wait strategy because of the anxiety associated with every three months visit with the MRI and etc with high anxiety related to, is am I still a, a complete responder? So I think that in future data, we should also be looking at that. Very good point. So after uh, reading all those studies and speaking of, of uh, follow-up in these patients, what do you think would be like the best or the optimal follow-up strategies in these patients? To be honest with you, Dr. Dagbert, I don't know what the best follow-up uh, protocol would be. And I know that's a question that has been lingering on, um, but I know that at our institution, 
patients undergo a rectal exam and endoscopy plus MRI of the pelvis and the abdomen every three months for two years, and then every six months to complete five years of surveillance. And they also have yearly CT of the chest and the abdomen and pelvis for five years. It is a very uh, intense program, but that's what I believe is the best follow-up, especially um, when it comes to watch and wait and where studies are still exploring uh, the strategy. Also of note, at our institution, the CEA evaluation is also done. True. In one patient, we picked up recurrence with just the elevation of the CEA. Good point. Good point. Also, one, one thing that would be interesting to, to look at is if the follow-up strategy should be um, modified depending on the initial T-stage of the patient. Because as mentioned in the 2021 study, a patient with clinical T3 or clinical T4 stages uh, had a higher risk of local regrowth, but only in the first year of follow-up. So that is also something to take into consideration when uh, choosing the best follow-up strategy for these patients. So overall, the watch and wait strategy is here to stay. I think that the studies that we looked at today shows that some of the patients with rectal cancer can benefit from such an approach and avoid the morbidity and mortality of uh, rectal resection, especially in low rectal cancer. However, it should be uh, of note that when patients are considered for a watch and wait strategies, intensive surveillance is mandatory, especially in the first two to three years. Watch and wait strategy should be performed in high volume centers with experienced specialists and dedicated facility and should be thoroughly discussed with the patient as a potential treatment strategy at the beginning of the treatment sequence. I know we've covered a lot of topics, but if the if you listeners are interested in digging deeper into this subject, um, I recommend the recent presentation at the ACS Virtual Clinical Congress that is still available online on their website. It's it's like a 45-minute talk. It's definitely worth it. Until, Until next, next time. time. Uh, Bye-bye. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.